love has come to save me. I sense the Holy Spirit really coming and visiting us here this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really sensing that God is moving here today. Uh, let's all stand as we have the offering come forward and pray. Father, thanks for uh, what you're doing here. And we thank you that we can participate in what you're doing uh, financially and otherwise and giving not only of our resources but of our time and of our talents uh, as well. Thank you for that which has come forward. We ask that uh, you give wisdom to those uh, that are in leadership role here so that we can manage this to your pleasing. It's always our focus that uh, you should be pleased here. And we invite you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, could I get a couple of able-bodied gentlemen to come up and move the, uh, the podium while I give you a weather forecast? And obviously, we've turned the corner. We're, we're, in, a, uh, we're in a cold mode, uh, as we predicted that, that December would be a rapid start to a wintry period, and uh, we were hopeful that it would be, thank you very much, we were hopeful that it would start right around Christmas, and well, it's going to do that. Uh, and this is just phase one. Phase two will come in a really interesting way as we approach Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of next week. So get ready. Uh, there's an interesting storm going around or interesting uh, way that the, the computer models are trying to handle it. And really, they're having a tough time with this one uh, in the sense that uh, with every model run, it puts the low in a different position and it puts the heavy snow band in a different position. Suffice to say, it doesn't matter what the end solution will be that the atmosphere will give out, it's going to be memorable. It may start out as a little rain-snow mix on Thursday, but by the time we get up on, on Christmas morning or even Christmas Eve morning, uh, boy, I hope you have some firewood handy because it is going to be uh, rather cold. Uh, just FYI, a, a shameless plug for those that uh, are into podcasting, and even if you're not, uh, go to weatherjazz.com. It's my podcast, and I've decided to, because of the extreme interest in the upcoming storm for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, uh, that I would probably put out a daily podcast update on uh, what we're thinking is going to take shape because it's going to take several days before things come into focus with a little more specificity. So weatherjazz.com, if you have a podcast app, make sure that you subscribe and like it. Uh, that way you'll just automatically download those, uh, those episodes as they come in. And I think I'll probably put out the first one this afternoon. Um, so again, that's weatherjazz.com. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we are in the middle of a series, the Christmas series. And just to refresh your memory, I've called this series For Unto You. Now, that's not the way... Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 starts. It says, for unto us 
is born, and we'll review the, the scripture here in just a second, but as a refresher, a reminder, uh, it was my intent to make sure that you put yourself into this equation. And so I have taken the liberty of putting you there instead of us, because you is a part of us. So it, it's, it's not taking a scripture out of context, but rather it's specifying it, and it's putting you into the equation. For unto you is born a child. For unto you is born a, uh, a savior, a, a child, a son. Okay, so with that in mind, for unto you, wherever you see for unto us, personalize it, and let's review what we have in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us, or unto you, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now just within that one verse right there, this is just one of hundreds of verses of prophecy that point to the coming anointed one. But just take a look at just this one. We have not one, but we have five titles ascribed to this coming anointed one. We have child, he's gonna be human, all human, but a son, son of God, fully divine fully man, fully divine. So we have two there. Government will be on his shoulders. He will be a government leader. Uh, he will be wonderful counselor, mighty, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So not five, we have six. We have six different titles attempting to describe the one who's coming, who, whose coming was anticipated for millennia for millennia before that happened 2,000 years ago. And of course, now we can look back at that event and marvel and wonder as we've been worshiping here this morning, as the kids were worshiping here this morning and singing songs of praise pointing to that very night that happened that changed human history 2,000 years ago. So these titles, these right here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, these titles are just a small sampling of what is included in the prophecies of this coming anointed one from Genesis until Malachi. Just tons and tons. And as we've been, uh, been talking about, they're very, very specific. Very, very specific, not just somebody special is coming. No, again, we've been talking about some of the specific prophecies that one person would fulfill. And the probability, the mathematical probability that one person would fulfill all of that is beyond absurd mathematically. We talked about that last week. But of course, we serve a God who is a God of impossibilities. He can do that. If anybody can do that, it is our God. 
So this is just a small random sampling. It is six titles, but they are so magnanimous that no one else except Jesus fulfills the billing. Now look, the best that I could do, the best that I could do standing up here and coming up with six titles that might fit would be son, brother, husband, meteorologist, pastor. But none is more important than follower of Christ or a Christian. Why is that? The reason is in the meaning behind one of the titles that we'll be digging into today. And that title is Messiah. Messiah. So let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you think of the word Messiah? There might be a lot of things that you think of. Now, naturally, Messiah is a title we'll be digging into the whole meaning, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, of the word Messiah in just a second. But one of the things that I think of when I think of Messiah is that, that wonderful Handel's Messiah chorus that comes to mind when I think of Messiah. Uh, just think about it. Composer George Frederick Handel created what is known as an oratorio. What's an oratorio? It's not exactly a concert. It's not exactly a symphony. It's an, and it's not exactly a, um, uh, oh, an opera. That's the word I was thinking of. But it's kind of a hybrid of all of these things. An oratorio takes the words from something and places it in song. And that's exactly what Handel did. He took the words in the King James Bible, which was first performed in Dublin in 1742. The next year, and for a couple of years after that, it moved to London in 1743. Would you believe that when it was performed in both Dublin and in London, in those first few years, that the reception was modest at best. Can you believe that? Can you, how popular is that? How many people know that Handel's Messiah Chorus? Hallelujah. It's fantastic. You get goosebumps. Well, think of it this way. Do you remember, well, we heard from one of the callers, uh, George Bailey from, uh, from Bedford Falls today with the, the kids, uh, pro, uh, kids uh, play here this morning. And uh, think to the film, It's a Wonderful Life. When that film by, uh, his last name was Kappa, uh, at any rate, the, the film, when it was released back in the 1940s, it was a dud. Can you believe that? It was considered an absolute dud. It came out and it was, and this is putting it very kindly, it was, or it met a modest reception, modest at best. 
So it kind of fell into the dust heap of film industry and the, the, the people who owned the rights to the film, they just let the copyright expire. There was no sense in, in renewing the copyright on this thing because it wasn't a big deal. Well, the minute that happened, the TV industry said, oh, wow, here's a film that we can show for free because it lost its copyright uh, continuance. And so TV stations, just looking for Christmas fill, started throwing this film on in the 1960s and 70s on television. And then all of a sudden, boom, it became an instant Christmas classic because it was shown over and over again on television and it's still in the public domain today. There are no copyrights. They can show it at will. But would you believe It's a Wonderful Life by 2002 was named the seventh best film in film history. Yeah. And early on, before that copyright expired, it was considered one of film's least liked films. It's like, that's what happened with Handel's Messiah. When that first came out in the 1700s, during its production, it, it was not a big deal. But over time, it gained traction. Why? Because it uses God's word, and it was majestic and it just gave you goosebumps to listen to it. And of course now, it is a very popular uh, concert or oratorio to go to whenever Christmas comes around. But the centerpiece of Handel's Messiah revolves around Messiah. This title is so important that spending time on the origin of the word, I think, is really important as we approach the Christmas season because it is, in fact, the Messiah that we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. And it's only one week from now. I'm looking forward to spending Christmas morning with you in the atrium. If you have no plans yet, and if you're willing to trudge through the deep cold and the deep snow, which we talked about, we're all going to be here sipping on uh, some hot chocolate coffee and, and maybe a few goodies along the way. Christmas cookies for breakfast, right? Yeah, Christmas cookies for breakfast before we have to all go on crash diets on January the 1st or 2nd. So I hope to see you, whoever is available. And those of you, I know we have a number of people online watching today that are recovering from various things. So we're praying for you and hope to see you out here on Christmas Day. But that's just one week from now. And uh, as we look at the word Messiah, I'm really, really hoping that you grab onto certain key things that will prevent Christmas from becoming just another feel-good holiday a feel-good winter holiday. Because it can be a feel-good winter holiday, but 
We're going to really dig into the, the real heart and the meaning behind Christmas. All right. There are 39 places in the Old Testament where the word Messiah actually shows up. However, expanding on that, there are numerous places in the Old Testament where the title Messiah is actually connected to other places and other Hebrew words that have a very, very close marriage. So 39 specific places where the word Messiah shows up. And of course, in Hebrew, sometimes when you attach a prefix or a suffix, you can expand that and it will likely go into at least 100, if not more places in the Old Testament where the word Messiah is either referenced to or used directly. Now, the word Messiah essentially means anointed one. And you're gonna see the Hebrew popping up on the screen right now, hopefully there it is. Now remember, in Hebrew, we, we, we read from right to left. And for those of you that are into Strong's Concordance and Strong's words, for those that wanna look it up, it's Strong's number 4886. Every single Hebrew word is referenced and broken down in Strong's uh, Concordance, which is fantastic. How do you pronounce that? Mashiach. Mashiach is the word Messiah in Hebrew. And what does it mean? Well, it means, get this, anointed one of the Messiah, messianic prince, the king of Israel, the high priest of Israel. That's a mouthful, and that's, and that's a magnanimous title, Mashiach. And everybody in the Old Testament who studied scripture or was somebody who was a person of faith in God was always looking for the arrival of Mashiach. And so these are the, some of the titles, and if you just want to take a look at one of the Old Testament reference, Jot this down, I'm not gonna go there, but one of the places is in Daniel chapter nine, verses 25 and 26, you will see the Hebrew word, Mashiach, translated into Messiah, one of the 39 specific places in the Old Testament of that specific uh, title of the Messiah. So, bottom line is that Israel and the people of God were very, very, very well aware of the coming of this Mashiach, or the coming of the Messiah. They were constantly looking for the Messiah. When is the Messiah going to come? There were prophets, all these prophets that were prophetically talking about Messiah coming. They were looking for the Messiah. They wondered, they even asked God in many cases, when is Messiah coming? When is Messiah coming? They longed to see Messiah coming. So turn with me now to John chapter four. If you have your Bibles handy or your uh, YouVersion app, your Holy Bible app, 
Turn with me to John chapter four. And let's set this up before we dig in. This is the story of Jesus appearing um, at midday at a well with a Samaritan woman that was there. And of course, talking to, if you're a Jew, talking to a Samaritan is a big no-no. But of course, Jesus loved people. He loved everyone. And he loved the Samaritan woman. And it was no coincidence that he appeared there at midday because it was very hot and he was thirsty. And so he engaged the woman at the well for a drink of water. Now, that's the setup. Let's dig in. John chapter 4, verses 25 to 26. This is later on in the conversation. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, called the Christ, and by the way, in, uh, in uh, Greek, that's synonymous. Messiah is Christ. I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. You see, these people knew that Messiah was coming. They were anticipating Messiah coming. Up to that point, when you go thousands of years back from that point, from the woman at the well, Messiah was anticipated coming. They were waiting. They were waiting for Messiah. This woman was waiting for Messiah to come. And she goes on saying, when he comes, Messiah, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, and this is the first time in Scripture that Jesus actually says, I am he. See what it says. I am the one speaking to you. I am he. I am Messiah. It's the first place where suddenly a Samaritan is told, a non-Jew is told, the Messiah is here. That's huge. So as we cross over from Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, over to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's now important to understand the cultural context that all of this was taking shape because it's going to help us to understand something about Messiah and about two missions that Messiah had. And it's no surprise that up to this point, the Jewish people they were always warring with somebody. They had oppression from every side. They were taken into custody. Their, their temple was torn down and you know, they were taken into, in, into Babylon. They were taken into other places and distributed all over the world and their nation essentially ripped to shreds. Well, eventually they came back and that was prophesied too that's another story for another time. But the Jewish people were under constant, constant oppression throughout their history. So what were they looking for? They were looking for the Messiah. But they were looking for a Messiah that was willing to stand up to the Roman uh, occupation and deliver them from this occupation, which was pretty nasty. 
That's the context. That's what they were looking for. So, having said that, Jesus himself explained, or tried to explain, that his mission, at least the first mission that he was on, was far deeper than just to throw off the Roman occupation or any other oppressor that had been trying to oppress, and in some cases successful, of the Jewish nation. Turn with me now to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Now let's take a look at uh, a scene. This is the scene approaching the crucifixion of Christ. And Jesus was brought before Pilate. And let's look at the conversation here. And let's discover something that is really amazing. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned, the, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? And Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said, now get this, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Stop right there. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was sending a very interesting message to the Jewish people because the Jewish people were looking for a political redeemer because they were so oppressed they were tired of it. I'd be tired of it if I was a Jew in that period. I'd be looking for somebody to throw off this political, this harsh political system. And of course, Messiah, the anointed one, was supposed to come. I'd be looking for this person to throw all this off. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus was pointing to something. He was trying to show the Jewish people and anybody else who was godly that his mission, at least the first mission, was not to bring a political solution to the Roman occupation. So you see, Jesus knew that the nation of Israel was looking for that leader to throw off the Romans. And I'll tell you why, he could have easily done that, easily done that, but what good would that have done? What good would it have done if he didn't finish the first mission, and that first mission is to deal with humanity's sin. If he didn't deal with that first, what good would have a political solution uh, done? It would have, well, okay, it would have temporarily been a solution to throwing off the Roman government. And then what? 
and then everybody else in human history would die and be destined for hell. What kind of solution is that? Jesus knew that. You see, his first mission was not a political one. Jesus loved us way too much to be short-focused. Instead, Jesus' game was a long game. His was the long game, and he had the first mission and a much bigger mission in mind. We talked about this last week. Remember us talking about the great exchange, the eternal swap, the eternal swap. Let's dig into that and let's refresh your memory. Go, to, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 and 21. And this is what it says. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. And why did that need to take place? That needed to take place so that we would become right with God. It was the only way. A human had to do that because it was a human that got us into the bondage of sin in the Garden of Eden. So a human who was also fully divine, who was sinless, took on our sin and gave us the great exchange. God became man. Does that sound familiar? Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us as a man to rescue and redeem us from our sin. And it was his mission when he was born to do that. Again, he was looking at the long game. Everybody else in in Israel was looking at the short game because of all of the oppression that they had in historical context. And really, who can blame them? Who can blame them? I would want that if I was a Jew living at that time or any other time in history, looking for the Messiah to break the yoke of the natural. But Jesus had the long game in mind, and that was the first thing he had to take care of because if he didn't take care of that, in the scheme of eternity, it would, it would be fruitless. Because in the end, every human being would be destined for an eternity without God, better known as hell. Hell is not a very popular word these days. Never really was, but I mean, even these days in culture, oh, there can't be a hell. There's, there's a, no, there is a hell. The Bible is very, very clear about that. I don't know about you, but I believe the Bible. And if the Bible says, if God says there's a hell, which is, by the way, is not, was never created for human beings. It was created for the fallen angels whose destiny is sealed. That's for them. 
God doesn't want a single human being to go there. So when at age 33, Jesus crucified, died, and rose again. But before that resurrection, after Jesus died and they buried him, the apostles thought, it's over. But for Jesus, it was mission accomplished. Praise God for that. And of course, I always like to say, the period at the end of the exclamation point was the resurrection three days after he was killed. So let's look back at our key verse as we start to wrap things up. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. We'll get back to that in just a second. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But I have underlined there, government will be on his shoulders. Emphasis mine there. What is that pointing to? That to me, and hopefully to you, says that Jesus isn't done yet. What happens next? Well, first of all, mission number one was to redeem humanity from sin. The great exchange. He did that. Mission number one is done. And it can be for you too today, for everyone here, for everyone watching online, for everyone who might be watching online live and later. That can be you if you receive Jesus into your heart, receive his righteousness as a gift which you could never ever pay for, nor does he want you to pay for it because he paid it already. You can receive that righteousness and he will take your sin, all of it, and have right standing with God. But the government will be on his shoulders says that Jesus is coming back. And this is going to be the place when mission number two comes into play. That's when he will establish his rule, his government, breaking the hold of all of the evil that we see in the world today. And boy, do we ever see a lot of it. I'm sick and tired of it. I am, but there's a solution. First, the long game, Jesus redeemed you. But the short game is that Jesus is coming back and he is going to break the chains of all the evil and establish his rule here on earth when he returns for a millennia, for a thousand year rule followed by a new heaven and a new earth, according to the book of Revelation. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. And it should be a, a time of just immense joy. And it is, I know, for so many of you. But until he returns, 
And until Jesus comes back, and that could be any day, we should be, A, ready for that by receiving him as Lord and Savior, but then we're not supposed to passively sit back and wait in a quiet corner for Jesus to return. That's escapism. That's waiting for the great rapture, which will come. No doubt it's coming. It's one day closer today than it was yesterday. And if he doesn't come back by tomorrow, tomorrow will be one day closer to that great event. We are to continue to look forward to that. But in the meantime, we are not supposed to hide in a corner and remain silent because we have a job to do, just like John the Baptist did. We talked about that in this series. John the Baptist was there to announce Jesus and to appoint people to what Jesus' long game was and the short game eventually. We're supposed to be doing the same thing. Don't be silent. This is Christmas. If ever there was a season to talk to your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, those close to you, those distant to you, whoever you meet about Jesus, this is the season that opens it up because we're celebrating Christmas. This is not just some feel-good holiday. This is a time of great joy for all of us. So it's important to us to occupy, to occupy every part of our society until Christ returns. I'm sure I mentioned this before, but there's a great book called The Seven Pillars of Society by Johnny Enloe. Johnny Enloe is, is a, an evangelist and a minister based in, in um, in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's got a, a website called restore7.com, restore7.com, seven standing for the seven pillars of society that we are supposed to infiltrate. Now, I talked about this before. It's a, it's a very good book. I recommend it, but let me just capsulize it for you. Basically, it says we are not supposed to be silent. We are supposed to be salt, we are supposed to be light. We're supposed to be telling people about Jesus. And this is the season to do it because it's Christmas. It is the person of Jesus Christ that we celebrate. So as we occupy these seven pillars, I recommend you to, to explore that. Basically, get involved, in, not only in this church, but get involved in society and Talk to people about the hope that you have. And we're going to talk about hope as we wrap things up on January 1st uh, coming up. We'll have a wonderful devotion, which I'll get to in just a little bit. But, okay, it's, it's time to get busy. It's Christmas. We have a week left. Let's tell others about why it is we have so much joy about Christmas. It's because of a savior. It's because of the Messiah, the anointed one, whose mission was to rescue us from sin. That's mission number one. Mission number two is coming, and it's coming soon. But until that happens, don't be silent. Get out there and tell people about Christ and tell people what's in your heart. Tell people why you have so much hope. 
which brings me back to I love this part of the Lord's Prayer. You must know it, maybe, maybe even ad nauseum by now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is that going to happen unless we occupy those seven pillars on earth and bring kingdom principles on earth that's what we're called to do don't be silent don't sit back and wait for christmas and and be joyful there's nothing wrong with that but get busy be a john the baptist get out there and i know and and i just sense from all of you today i'm preaching to the choir so really this is just a pep talk so that when we go out those doors we do the evangelizing, the, the proclaiming of the Messiah that came and is coming back. Amen? For Christmas Day, we will be meeting in the atrium. And I've got some really interesting things planned. I've learned a lot this year by, really t- by studying Luke chapter 1 and 2. Got a couple of things that maybe you've never even thought of before. We'll, we'll touch on those things in, in a nice devotional. We might even have a little bit of, uh, uh, of singing, uh, thanks to some uh, of the other churches that we'll be partnering with in terms of worship out there. Um, more on that. Uh, you'll have to come. You'll just have to come on Christmas Day and find out what that's all about. It'll be worth it. And, and it will be worth the drive. We'll have a good time. And of course, Christmas cookies for, for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And of course, we will wrap up this series. We've decided to, to take the wrap up, not on Christmas Day, but on January 1st. There's no better way to start a year than to look at the wrap up of this series for Unto You by looking at Savior. Savior and what that all means. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this day. Thank you for thank you for, for being long visioned. Thank you for playing the long game and rescuing us first before establishing an actual government which is still yet to come. Things are still pretty kooky here on this side of eternity, Lord. That, that doesn't su- surprise you. Yet we can become discouraged when we see things going on. But help us to keep our vision on Jesus so that our vision can be to bring kingdom principles here on earth to give other people hope, the hope that we have, the hope which is really the only hope that is eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Lots going on at uh, New Promise Church. So.
Watch your screens as we wrap things up. We will be having a fusion Christmas party December 21st from 6 to 8 p.m. There will be a white elephant gift exchange, games, food, and fun. We would love to bless our missionaries with a little extra this Christmas. If you are able to give towards this goal, please note it on your giving envelope or select missions in your online giving. There are three ways to give to the Lord at New Promise Church in person in the offering box at the back of the auditorium or in the offering plate during the service by mailing it in to 8671 Euclid Chardon Road, Kirtland, Ohio 44094 or online at newpromisechurch.com forward slash give. Thank you for all you give back to the Lord. Join us for a one hour candlelight Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. This service will be kid friendly with songs and scripture and a special story read just for the kids. Christmas Day, instead of our regular service, we will be gathering in the cafe with a Christmas devotion brought to you by Pastor Andre at 10 o'clock. There are so many people here at New Promise Church who work behind the scenes that rarely get thanked. Today, I want to give a huge shout out to our tellers. There are a few people who come in during the week and sort and count all the money and make sure it gets put into the right account. Thank you, guys. In a world of questions, now is not the time for cowering or complaining. This is our time to be the answer. Join us Wednesdays at 7 p.m. starting January 4th as we study Dr. David Jeremiah's book, The World of the End. We are in need of more referees for Upward. At the moment, we have four, and that is not enough. If you could lend us two or three hours of your time on the eight Saturdays in January and February, let Don or Amy know. There are training videos, you get a free ref shirt, and your very own shiny whistle. Our annual congregational business meeting is scheduled for January 15th after the service. Please plan to attend if you are a member. If you would like prayer right after the service, members of our prayer team are waiting there to pray with you. I know it may be Christmas, uh, but because of the snow and chill and cold, I decided to uh, attire semi-casual uh, today. Now, next week for Christmas Day, um, you probably will want to dress for function and not fashion. <laughs> There's going to be a big difference. You won't want to dress for fashion. You'll want to dress for function because it is going to be bitterly, bitterly cold. That's the one part that is absolutely definitive. How much snow we get still up in the air, but uh, it will be a white Christmas, whether it's one inch or one foot or two feet. You know. We're still fine-tuning and tweaking that aspect of it, but please dress for function. I almost said dress for fashion. Don't do that. Dress for function, not fashion. Quick story and a funny one to let you off before we pray. Uh, when Noah was three and a half years old, we took a vacation. It was uh, 2000. Um, we went to um, a ski area in northern New Hampshire, and uh, this was for Christmas Day. And on Christmas Eve, we saw in, in the resort's uh, communication that there was going to be one horse open sleigh uh, that you could jump in on and ride through the countryside. And it was going to be moonlit, but it was going to be very, 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 very cold. Now, we knew that being, you know, having two meteorologists uh, in our family, we looked at each other. It was going to be just a little below zero. 
on the temperature on back air thermometers below zero um, and uh, it'll it was going to be clear with the bright full moon up there so we did what two meteorologists decided to do is we were going to dress not for fashion we were going to dress for function and we got to the town square and the 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 big there was a big big thermometer in the town square and it was like minus three and you could hardly recognize us in fact you wouldn't have recognized we look like weebles you know <laughs> weebles wobble but they don't fall down you remember remember that from back in the 70s for those of you old enough that was a big christmas gift weebles wobble but they don't fall down we looked like weebles just these big round things we had layer upon layer upon layer. Other people who had purchased uh, a spot in the one-horse open sleigh uh, started coming. They were dressed not for function. They were dressed for fashion. And we looked at them and we went, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> so we all piled into this sleigh and everybody was in a festive mood. We were all singing Christmas songs led by the, 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 uh, the fellow with the horse and the horse had all the bells and, it was, and, and there were these little lanterns, lit lanterns along the way in the countryside, the moonlight was shiny. It was gorgeous, it was wonderful and we were all in a great mood. And it was about a 45 minute horse-drawn sleigh through the countryside before we went back to the town square. Well, a little less than halfway through, suddenly the singing became a little less enthusiastic. And pretty soon, Sally, Noah, and I were the only ones singing. And we looked at everybody else, and everybody else was going, when is this going to end? When is this going to end? And we were like, we're fine. We keep going. Oh, no. Bottom line, dress for function not fashion on Christmas Day. Don't worry, I won't hold it against you, nor will anybody, especially when we come to that time. It'll be something to remember. We'll be talking about this maybe for quite a few years after that. All right, uh, I hope you enjoyed that story. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this day. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I've really sensed that you were here today and uh, that you were really present and, and escorting us into a special place where we dug into Messiah, the anointed one, with a long game vision for the first one. Thank God for that. We thank you for sending Jesus who had that long game first. Thank you that he has the next mission that's coming. We look forward to that. But we can't look forward to that unless we have our eternity secured, and you've done that. We love you, we thank you, we worship you as we head into Christmas, and equip us with great boldness as we head out those doors today to tell us about Jesus, to invite them here, and if, not, if they're not going to come to church, at least tell them about Jesus, because it's our job. Help us to be like John the Baptist in that regard. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone enthusiastically with Christmas cheers said, Amen. Yes! Have a great uh, week ahead, and we'll see you out there.